Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. It's funny as I was kind of preparing for this week, uh, I was thinking back to this past summer where we had a number of uh, people get a chance to speak. I got a chance. Susan got a chance. And, and I remember one trend that seemed to come from a, a number of people is they talked about how um, nervous they were being up here or how they're like, no, nah, this isn't something that I normally do. And the funny thing is, <laughs> I am the exact opposite where I don't know if, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, the temptation of the spotlight and the stage, you know, having a theater background but I also have this really weird mix of a theater background and a love of sports. So for me, these moments, I've got adrenaline pumping into me. So like I remember, I remember back in college, right before the curtain, I remember specifically we were doing remote, Romeo and Juliet. And I had the, I don't even know what my character's name was, but I was the guy that comes out to start the show, like the first person out on stage. And right before that curtain opens, you know, people are behind doing whatever their little nervous fidgets, and I'm like, let's go! And I might have, like, chest bumped somebody, which theater kids don't usually like being chest bumped. So um, so that's somewhat alien to me, because that's a pretty common fear, the fear of public speaking. But two, two moments that I did definitely reflect on is that remembering feeling fear is, one, when I was in middle school, um, I took a, fa- or not a family, it was a school trip we took to Yosemite for spring break with, with the school. And the last day, we got an opportunity, an optional opportunity to hike with the group up Half Dome. So I don't know if you're familiar with Half Dome. It's kind of like the iconic image, right, of Yosemite. And the interesting thing is, it's a really long, it's like an eight-hour hike each direction, 16 hours round trip. And the hike leads you right up to this little hill, mountain thing that it's resting on, which they call Quarter Dome. So it's, it's a beautiful hike, not really that hard. But the interesting thing is when you get right up to the actual rock, Half Dome, it's almost straight up and down from almost every direction. So to actually get to the peak, there's these cables. And you have to literally hold on to these cables as you're hiking your way up to actually get to the top. So here's this group of middle school students, and I remember our teacher chaperones looked us like dead in the eye, and they were like, before we even went, agreed to go on the hike, and said, you realize, if you let go of those cables, you will fall thousands of feet, and you will die. And like, but deadpan serious, he's not joking, and he's right, literally, if you let go of these, that's what's going to happen. So here's these seventh and eighth graders that are just, paralyzed in fear, and probably for the best. Like, we don't want the, oh, this isn't silly. Like, no, 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 no. So I remember tangible, I am literally afraid for my life. Like, if, if I let go, I will die. And so that was a vivid memory. And the other one that I reflected on this week was um, September 11th, 2001. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us remember where we were and how we felt and stuff. Um, I was working at Disneyland at the time, and I remember, actually I was working an early shift, so my shift had just started when the first plane hit, and I remember that day, just the whole day was so confusing, 
We had the news on the whole time, and news was just like, they didn't know what was going on, so they were just reporting everything they could get their hands on. I even remember at one point, the plane, <clears throat> the plane that went down in uh, Pennsylvania, I think, uh, they didn't know where it was, so they were speculating, and there was one speculation that it was heading towards the West Coast. And, and I know for me, the thought occurred of, if you're going to hit a, a representation of America on the West Coast, that's the Hollywood sign, or that's the Disneyland castle. And so... I was scared, and I remember not only, like, the fear I was feeling, but looking around, like, at my coworkers, even the guests that were at Disneyland that day, the adults at least. And so the weird thing for me is those two experiences, very vivid, those two emotions, though, they feel so different. I call them both fear, but they just, they don't feel at all the same. Even more so thinking about like, like existential fear of, um, you know, fear of failure, fear of missing out, fear of not being enough, being insufficient. Like I've, I've experienced all of those things and yet they all feel so different. And I think that's one of the reasons why when I was getting ready for uh, this passage this week, this was really tough. This was a really, really tough one because we're doing, you know, a, a pretty famous part, the, the middle section of this psalm. And I, I think you guys are, are pretty familiar. Like it says, um, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And what I find so challenging, I think, about that is I, I've heard this verse for, I've heard this verse longer than I've known Jesus. You know, it's in movies, it's in songs, it's on TV. And what I hear far too often, either from myself or even from other people, what they hear is either A, if I just have enough faith, I will not have fear, or B, nothing bad will ever happen to me because God is with me. And that's really tough for me because bad stuff does happen. Happens to me, happens to everybody. And I still feel fear. So now what? What do I do with this? And my fear is that it can go one of two directions sometimes. It can either go into, well, that's just one of those things you say. You know, nobody really believes that we have no fear, but you just say that because it makes you feel better. Or the other option is kind of the, if I no longer feared getting into a car accident, why would I wear a seatbelt? And it can turn into reckless, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me, essentially. And I just don't, all of the rest of my experience with God makes it feel like I don't think that's what David's saying in either of those directions. So what is he saying? Well, I, I want to look at the, the passage itself a little bit. Ken, can you put it back up there for a, a sec? So, the darkest valley. Now, a lot of times, even though I walk through the darkest valley, King James would translate it as the valley of the shadow of death. We're pretty familiar with that one. And I think one of the reasons that modern translations usually say darkest valley is not that shadow of death is necessarily an incorrect translation, 
But I think our minds want to go to the word death when that's not really the focus of that, that word. It's, it's more this picture of the darkest valley, this difficult time, and not also missing even though, even though I go through the darkest times. And then he says, I will fear no evil, which I think is really interesting. He doesn't say, I will fear nothing. He says, I will fear no evil. But let's come back to that one in a second because for you are with me is really interesting because notice this whole psalm up to now has been uh, the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me. But then all of a sudden here he switches and he says for you. He's all of a sudden addressing, he's not addressing us, he's addressing God now. For you are with me. And then like Don talked about last week, this is the picture of a shepherd that is not, is not something that he says, well, good luck, flock, you're off on your own. He's not somebody that's going to like teach the flock what to do and then send them. He's not somebody that's going to like watch from on high and just be like, well, all right, like I hope you guys do okay. No, literally this picture is the shepherd walking with the flock. You are with me side by side, walking through this darkest valley. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And, uh, and I did find a picture of, well, this isn't my favorite picture, but it's the only one Google image would give me, of a rod and a staff. I'd always thought that a rod, I'd heard somewhere that a rod like, was to like whack the sheep if they got out of control. But apparently it's much more, one, it's not huge. It's kind of this short little stick but it is probably designed to defend the flock, which I thought was really interesting. It's not really designed to defend the shepherd. It's designed to defend the flock. When something is coming after the sheep, the rod defends them. And then the staff is kind of that classic shepherd's staff with the little hook at the end. And the hook was literally for, like, hooking a sheep and kind of bringing them back on track when they would start wandering around. So... The picture I think that David is painting is a picture of protection and a picture of guidance. Okay, so if this is what he is saying through this psalm, <laughs> I feel like I'm right back where I started. I feel like, okay, God's going to protect me, therefore nothing bad is going to happen, right? But, but, like, or... I'm supposed to be comforted in all situations, and I'm not supposed to feel fear. So, again, I'm, I'm stuck right, by, right back where I started. So what if, we, what if we tackle these two words, evil and fear, for a sec? Because I think that's really interesting. For me, the word evil, I don't use the word evil. Like, if you're going to say, hey, Jeff, have you experienced much evil this week? I'm like, no. Like, and, I mean, how many people in your life are you going to go, well, that person's evil? Like, no, I mean, that's like, you know, you talk about supervillains that way or like those really horrible historical characters you refer to as evil or maybe even like demonic stuff like that. But just our daily life, are you going to really talk about evil that way? And I don't think that's what David's saying either. He's not talking about those things. I think he's talking about the bad stuff that happens. I will not fear the bad stuff. Which, in some ways, seems kind of silly because, like, well, of course, like, why would you fear the good stuff, right? 
So, I don't know, that doesn't really get me anywhere. But then what about the word fear? Because for me, the word fear is kind of similar, to be honest with you. I don't use the word fear a lot. If you're going to, like, again, hey, Jeff, what are you afraid of? Well, if I'm really honest, being afraid of something kind of feels unmanly, you know? Like, we're supposed to be these big, like, you know, John Wayne, courageous hero types to say, like, you know, what are you afraid of? Uh, that's, again, maybe an extreme word. But if we're going to use words like anxious, nervous, concerned, worried, these are words that I do use. So what, yeah, what's the difference? Well, I found this chart, what was this called? The Atlas of Emotions had this really interesting chart of fear, I thought. And to be honest, I have no idea what the arcs and the peaks and the valleys mean, but I thought this was really interesting. Trepidation, nervousness, anxiety, dread, desperation, panic, horror, terror. And I can kind of see this like ramping up, you know? Things kind of get worse and worse and worse. You start with trepidation, nervousness, and even the spacing I thought was really interesting, that it starts to go dread, desperation, horror, like, you know, it's just, it goes really quickly to terror whereas it starts off a little slow. But what I thought was really interesting about this chart is especially that gap. You guys see that gap between anxiety and dread? I thought that was really interesting because I kind of feel like those first three, trepidation, nervousness, and anxiety, I don't know that we would call those fear. Those seem a lot more comfortable. Whereas we're going to talk about dread, desperation. Sure, those all, we can label those as fear. But I don't know that we label trepidation, nervousness, and anxiety as fear. So this is where I reflected back on the, the beginning of this whole psalm. Remember? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Nothing. And if that's the picture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have no lack. I'm going to have nothing. Then all of a sudden, I feel like what he's talking about here as crazy as it may sound, is exactly that. I don't think it just means the extreme examples of fear. I think he's talking about, talking about all of it. So what do we, how do we do that? Let's, let's start with that. How do we live that way? Well, I was thinking about this kind of analytically. <clears throat> starting with where do my fears come from? Uh, and I found, I don't know, Psychology Today or something like that, listed these as the top five, maybe not the top five, but five major fears that are out there. And they are darkness or loss of visibility, heights and flying, social interaction or rejection, snakes, rodents, spiders, and other animals, death and dying. And then I would add to this list, like we talked about, <clears throat> Some of those existential fears. So talking about like, um, do I matter? Fear of failure, fear of insufficiency, fear of missing out. And as I was reflecting on those, all of those fears, for me what came out most was this, this loss of control. In all of those situations, like if it's dark, if it's dark or even like picture heights or flying, uh, social interactions, 
I am not the one that's in charge of these situations. These are situations out of my control. I can't control what an animal is doing. I can't control what death is doing. I can't control what I can't see. I can't control if I matter. I can't control if, or that's the fear. The fear is that I can't control if I matter. And as I, that, that, that's what really struck me. Kyle mentioned earlier this week, he, he, as I was working on this, he said, like, Jeff, what's an example of like when you have been struck by fear or something? And that, that really, I mean, again, I thought of those couple of examples. Or what, what did you do, I, guess, I think was your specific question. And what I was drawn to was um, a year ago. A year ago, uh, some of our students uh, experienced a, a, a terrible tragedy. That, um, and uh, I remember as, as a youth pastor feeling completely overwhelmed, completely insufficient. What the heck do I say to a kid that just, how in the world do I minister to a kid that lost something like that. I've never lost anything like that. I have no, none of my experience, uh, whether being a youth pastor or being a Christian, all of the sermons that I've heard, nothing has prepared me for this moment. What do I do? And I, I was frozen. I, I had, I had nothing. I, I don't know if, you felt that way, being in a situation where you just felt completely out of your element, completely overwhelmed, completely unable to deal with the situation in front of you, completely without control. I mean, for me, I've thought every time that I have ever started a new job, I that's the thought that crosses my mind, as silly as a job might seem. When I worked at Disneyland, sounds like a really easy job, right? You put on a costume, you go like, hoo, 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 hoo. But the, well, you got to go here, and then you got to check in here, then you got to check in with this guy, and then you got to come here, then you got to, when you're done, you got to take your costume, you got to put it here, and then you got to put this part, you got to put it over here, and then you got to take this one, then you got to use this chemical, and then you got to use this chemical, but you can't use this chemical, and then you got to, and then just, ooh, like what, oh, too much. Or I was working in a mail room. Well, if this package comes in, then you got to do this, and you got to send it there. But then if this pressure goes in, then you got to do this. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'll never remember any of this. I'll never remember any of this. Kind of a similar fear. I mean, to be honest, those felt, well, no. To be honest, I don't know that they felt that less significant than dealing with students that have just suffered a tragic loss. They all feel scary. They all feel paralyzing. What, what, yeah, what do I do? And I feel like David says it just about as clearly as he can, right? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Bad stuff is going to happen. And you will feel insufficient. And you will be insufficient. Like last year, when that happened to me, well, 
to me when I was in that situation. Um, I feel like the best thing that I did was realizing I don't have it in me. I do not possess what I need to love these kids, to care for these kids, to heal these kids. So what I did, I called... I called every trusted spiritual guide and mentor that I knew. I called uh, my, my old youth pastor that I interned for. I called the second youth pastor that I interned for. I called somebody that I'd met through camp. I called, I called and reached out to everybody that I could and just said, like, what the heck do I do? And they had guesses. They, you know, weren't necessarily sufficient either. But I feel like the answer has got to be, it's not, it's not about me, right? I'm not the one that does have the ability to do this. The fact that I have to do something to heal these people is, is actually a very comforting thought, if that was true, right? That I have it in my control and in my power to influence this situation. And I think that's where the fear comes from. That loss of control, that releasing is scary. It's much more comforting to know that I'm in control than to know that I am not. So I think what David is saying is he is not comforted in that darkest valley because he knows nothing's going to happen to him. Because something bad might happen to him. He's not comforted because he knows that he has the strength to survive and to get through. Because he might not. He knows that God does. He knows that God has the ability to get through that darkest valley, whatever that looks like. So for us, the answer is always, is about trust. It's about leaning back and trusting that God has us. And I don't think that's always easy. In fact, I know that's not always easy. That's not always easy for me. It's kind of like... I heard this analogy one time, and I think, um, I think I heard it came from Billy Graham. So that makes it better, right? <laughs> and he used this analogy of a chair or a stool. And he said, the thing about a chair is, I can look at this, and I can say, I understand how this chair works. I understand that there are four legs, that it balances the weight evenly so that you don't, you know, and, and all of that. I can even go to, like, the manufacturing plant, and I can see how these things are made. I can watch them build one and then take it right off the assembly line. I can look at other people that are all sitting in chairs or stools or something like that, and I can see, okay, I understand how this concept works. I can put this chair or stool down, and I can, I can test it out. I can lean on it. I can put some weight on it. And I can do all this. But the reality is, I'm not actually going to get anything out of this chair until this moment right there. 
till that moment where I actually put my weight, put my trust in this chair. Because at this moment right now, if this chair did not hold me, I'd be on the floor. There is no other recourse for me at this point but then to trust in this chair. And I think that's a picture of what it looks like to trust in God. Is that we can talk about trusting in God. We can see how others have trusted in God. We can do all of those things, but something changes when we actually put our weight onto it. When we actually lean back and say, God, if you don't catch me, I got nowhere else to go. And that's scary. And I have a feeling that for some of us, maybe here, maybe outside, maybe online, I don't know that I don't know that we've done that before. My guess is there's some of us that have never actually thought about, like, well, what does it actually look like? What does it feel like to lean back and to trust in God? And I think there's nothing magical about it. I don't think there's some magical form that you need to sign. I don't think there's some magical prayer that you need to pray that God's like waiting. Wait, have you prayed that prayer? Oh, hold on. I think it's something that goes on inside. That moment that you just flip that switch and you say like, okay, God, here we go. I'm in. I'm stepping out. I'm leaning back. I'm sitting down. And if that's you today, whether you've never put your trust in Jesus, whether you've never sat down on that chair before, maybe this is the time when you've done that and it feels like that chair is a little wobbly and you're getting a little nervous about it. Or maybe it's the time where you know you sat down, but now you found something else to lean on other than that chair. I want to encourage you that there's nothing as stable as this chair, my friend. There is nothing more worth trusting in, putting your faith in, relying on, other than God. David doesn't say there's any other reason that he doesn't fear that darkest valley other than God's presence. God is with me. And God's with you. Every single one of us right here and right now. So if you've never sat in that chair, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, I want to I invite you right now. It might sound silly. It might seem like, well, I need to do something. I need to like, no, it's, it's in here. It's that moment of saying, God, okay, I'm in. And if you've never said that before, I want to encourage you to bring somebody else into that conversation. Tell somebody else, hey, I think I want to lean back. Can you help me? Can you guide me down this path here? Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for your presence. Thank you for who you are, that you are the God with us. You are the God that walks beside us, that holds our hand, 
that shepherds us, that guides us, that protects us. Help us through those dark times and help us help others through those dark times. Lord, I want to lift up anybody that has never said this or thought this or felt this today, that maybe this is the first time they felt that. I just pray that you be with them. I pray that you surround them with people that love you and love them, that can guide them down this path and to help them see the the richness and the stability that comes with following you and being trusting in you. Help us all today. Trust a little more. See a little more. Thank you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.